Amen. Go ahead and get in your Bible to Romans chapter 12. Romans chapter 12. We're on uh, week 9 of the uh, 14 weeks that uh, I have uh, planned. And uh, if you do happen to miss, uh, Josh generally posts these on Sunday afternoons uh, on our website. And I would, uh, I always recommend uh, people listen to them and then talk as a husband and wife about what was talked about. Um, you know, we've touched on a lot of different things. Some of the things we talk about are sensitive subjects that just need to be uh, talked about. Uh, and as I tell you every week, I mean, the things that I teach in here, none of these things are, are things that my wife and I practice perfectly. Um, you know, she kicked me in the face. Um, yeah, that's pretty imperfect. Um, th- these are the things we strive for, and, and you know, like I mentioned to you, uh, m- my wife and I, we, we disagree all the time, constantly, uh, but we haven't had, uh, I mean, no one's raised their voice in our house. I mean, it's been decades. Uh, I mean, I don't even know, about 30 years uh, since any of that has happened, and, and we disagree all the time, And uh, and but there, there's ways we can disagree and have our home be peaceful and uh, stable. And that is such a good environment for a husband and wife and, and for children. And by the grace of God, every home uh, can be like that. Uh, as um, always, I'm uh, going to begin with the nine things that I want to just plant in everybody's heart and mind. Uh, nothing can be taken back. Uh, that's been done uh, to this point by either person. What's done is done. Number two. Uh, all that we can hope to change is today and tomorrow, and by the grace of God and good decisions, uh, today and tomorrow can change. Number three, if you're struggling, uh, you didn't get where you are in a day, you didn't get where you are in a week, you didn't get where you are in a month, and so you're not going to get out in a day or a week or a month, but by the grace of God, uh, you can get out and and, and do better. Uh, Number four, you can only control one person. Uh, and so I ask that in this class and in your home, you focus on that one person. If all you ever do when you listen to messages is focus on whoever else needed to hear it, you're always going to miss whatever part of the message is for you. And in your home, if you're always focused on the errors and faults and flaws of your spouse, uh, you're never going to do any better yourself. And uh, always, when we handle ourselves better, it uh, doesn't guarantee our spouse is going to change. But when we handle ourselves better, what happens is we put our spouse in the best possible situation for them to make better choices. Number five, there's always hope as long as God is involved. I mean, God is love. And uh, so if you don't love anymore or you never really loved or, or you don't love enough, uh, you need to have God involved and yield to him, and you can love uh, again. Somebody sarcastically said getting married is like getting into a tub of hot water. Now, after you get used to it, it ain't so hot. Uh, somebody sarcastically said that a wedding march always reminds uh, him of the music played before soldiers go to battle. Uh, on a more serious note, a great marriage is not when a perfect couple gets together. It's where an imperfect couple learns to enjoy and appreciate their differences. And as we've talked about so much in here, 
we make a big error when we try to make our spouse another one of us. You each have something special to bring to the home and, and relationship, and we should appreciate that. Number six, no one is destined to repeat the home in which they were raised. If it was bad, uh, you can succeed. Number seven, no one is assured of having a great marriage if you came from a home with a great marriage. You can fail. Number eight, the marriage that you're supposed to be working on is the marriage you're in now. And number nine, the person to whom you're married now is a person to whom you are supposed to be married. And you've got to understand that any time it comes in your mind, well, maybe I didn't marry the right person or I'm not supposed to be married to this person, you know what? Once you're married, that thought's not from God. You know, you're married. The person to whom you're married now is the person to whom you're supposed to be married. Uh, as always, we're going to start out before we get to some new stuff on some questions uh, that have been turned in. Like always, some of these are questions that you turned in, and some of them are questions that uh, I just think uh, I hold over. Uh, because they were turned in in the past and I think, you know, really applicable uh, to help people apply what we've been talking about. Here's question number one. I'm an independent woman who did not grow up in a home where my parents had a healthy biblical marriage. How do I make my husband understand that I'm trying my best to follow his leadership, but I'm not perfect? Um, first thing you need to understand is pretty much everybody's an independent person. Uh, some people are quietly independent. And other people are vocally independent. Whenever we have in our mind that just because someone is quieter, they are therefore humble and less independent, we have the wrong idea. Or when we think, wow, this person is a verbal person, therefore they are proud and independent, you know, it's not true. You know, there's some really quiet people who are quietly proud. And there's some people who are verbal people who actually have a, a pretty humble spirit. And so... Uh, you, first, you need to understand human nature. And, and remember this, it's easy to follow leadership. You just choose to. What's not easy is to have a good attitude uh, when you follow uh, leadership. And, and that is a choice, and it takes grace, and, and all those kinds of things. And what, what I would say to you is the first thing, you, you need to uh, ask yourself uh, and, and be honest, how well are you really following your husband's leadership? You know, I, I don't know. Everybody has phrases that bother them. Uh, this whole phrase, when you talk about, someone talks about their behavior, and they conclude it with, I'm not perfect, uh, to me that's like a red flag. And, and very often people use that uh, as an excuse uh, for all kinds of things. You know, I, I'm not perfect has nothing to do with, you know, you spending money you agreed not to spend or you going someplace you said you'd never go or you uh, committing adultery. I mean, I'm not perfect doesn't apply to, to, to those kinds of situations. And, and very often people use that phrase, you know, kind of as an excuse for willful disobedience. Um, and, and so the first thing you got to do, just be honest. How well are you following your husband's leadership? And if you honestly can walk away from that and say, do you know what, I, I really am uh, trying to follow my husband's leadership, I, I really am, then what you need to do is just pray for him and wait, because eventually that will be known. Um, the truth always comes out. 
It doesn't come out as quickly as we wish when it's us trying to do what's right. But, but in the end, uh, it will all come out that you're trying to follow uh, his leadership and just uh, trust the Lord, uh, pray for him. Question number two, is arguing ever healthy? Uh, as I said last week, because we're uh, today on the second week of three weeks in fair fighting, uh, it depends on what you mean by the word argue. If you mean by that, is it healthy that we don't always agree, I would say yes. I don't think our goal in marriage is ever to be the same. Now, there, there are some doctrinal things we should be the same on, but when it comes to practical applications, you know, you each bring a unique perspective. You each bring unique circumstances and gifts to it, and, and I don't think you should always be the same. And I, and I think some disagreement on things, you know, I, I think it's actually healthy. Um, that being said, if by that you mean argue by raising your voice, saying things you don't mean, uh, and all the kinds of things that we would associate with uh, a fight, that, then I, I know that that's not good, and I, I don't believe you ever have to disagree in that manner. Um, I just don't believe you ever have to. Uh, question number three, how do you keep from getting worked up in a disagreement? Uh, how do I keep from being defensive when my spouse stirs up uh, strife? Um, I mean, first off, you need to understand that every one of us gets angry. Everybody gets angry. Everybody gets angry. The question is not, I get angry and they don't. Uh, the question is this, is how will I handle my, handle my anger? And um, it's not a parenting class, uh, but one of the most important things, in fact, I think maybe the most important thing to teach our children is self-control. Um, because in every area of life, if you don't have that, you're going to have trouble. Uh, so the first thing I would say to you is make your temper a matter of daily prayer. Um, I can't say honestly do it every day, but I try to do it every day. In James uh, chapter 1, there's a verse that says, Be uh, slow to speak, uh, swift to hear, slow to wrath. And I very often pray that, Lord, today help me to be slow to speak, swift to hear, slow to wrath. And so the first thing I would say to you is make your temper a matter of your daily prayer when you get up every morning. And um, listen, if you don't think God is interested in helping you with these daily issues, you don't realize the value of a great relationship with God. He wants to help you. Uh, make it a matter uh, of prayer. Uh, read the Bible more. Romans chapter 15 says, speaks about the patience and comfort of the Scripture. Do you ever, when you read the Bible in the morning, say, Lord, grant me the patience and comfort of the Scripture? Uh, that's one of the things the Bible produces in the heart and mind uh, of, of people who actually take the time uh, to read it. Um, what I would say to you, and we talked about this a little bit last week, is when, you're in a, when you have a disagreement, if you feel yourself getting angry in an unhealthy way, you, you need to have enough good sense to say, you know what, uh, let's walk away for a few minutes and think and pray about this. And if your spouse says that, you need to not chase them around the house. Uh, all right? And um, one of the best things you'll ever do, um, I had to do this. Um, you know, I, I need to walk away. Uh, you know, we'll talk again. And you walk away, and you begin to think to yourself, okay, what should I say? What shouldn't I say? Does this really matter? 
Lord, how am I supposed to respond? What do you want me to do? You know, if again, this so much of this has to do with our personal relationship with God, and 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 when we think God is only like in, to be involved in our life to keep us out of hell, you have such a shallow view of what it means to know God, and uh, He wants your marriage and your home to be something that honors Christ, to be something that produces stability. And training for your children, uh, if you have them. Question number four, how can I give constructive advice when my spouse is always defensive and turns it into an argument? Um, The first thing you need to understand is almost never do spouses want to take advice from their spouse. I, I don't know really why this is, but it seems to be almost universally true. It's almost always, and I, I, I don't really even think it's right, but the last person we want to correct us is our spouse. Uh, what I've noticed very often, like when I do m- marital counseling, uh, is I may say something that their spouse has said, they will listen to me and not their spouse. Um, I don't know what it is. Maybe we know their faults and flaws so well. Maybe we've been together for so long and it's just so familiar with her, which I don't know what it is. And I don't think it's right. But the first thing you've got to just recognize is that um, don't expect from most spouses them to just smile, look you in the face, and say, wow, thank you so much for correcting me. I really appreciate the fact that you've brought up that. You know what? And so you need to temper your expectations. Now, that being said, um, there are times when you do need to say some things. And like always, uh, pick one or two good examples. Make the issue a matter of prayer. Pick a good time. Pick a good tone. Have the discussion. All right? Uh, Again, that doesn't mean they're going to say, wow, thank you, although there are some people who are genuinely appreciated. I like it. I like for my wife to point out what's wrong because I want to fix it. And I've asked her on multiple occasions, hey, what is it? Is there anything I can do? I can do better. And by the way, I didn't ask that question so that she would in turn ask me back, what can I do better? I, I, I want, I, with all my heart, I want to be a good husband. And, uh, you know, our kids are out of the house now. I still want to be a good dad of adult children and, and talk to the Lord about it all the time. And uh, question number five, I'm more family-oriented than my spouse. Uh, how or what can I do to change that? Uh, you can't change your spouse. You can only change you. Uh, be a good example. Make the issue a, a matter of prayer. And you know what? M- maybe you're looking at this wrong. Maybe you're too focused on family. By the way, you can be out of balance focused on family. Uh, maybe the situation is, is that you need your spouse to have their attitude to keep that in balance in your life, and maybe they need you uh, to be where you are to keep that issue balanced in their life. By, by the way, there were a lot of times, especially when I was younger, it was a good thing that my wife was very family-oriented because it helped me. I needed somebody to tweak that in me. Now, I know everybody is different, but uh, when I was ni- I'm almost 19, I moved out of my house. I never moved back. And by the way, I didn't miss being there. 
and I love my mom and dad. That's the way I'm wired. Um, God sent me to Cincinnati. My family's in Michigan. Do I miss my family? Yeah. You know. I, I love my family. I love being with them. I, I'm just not wired that way. And I needed my wife to be very home and family focused because I needed that my I needed my natural disposition tempered. And so don't always assume that because your spouse is different from you that you're right and they're wrong. You know what? If you're both the same, then one of you is unnecessary. And so just take a hard look at it and be honest about what's really going on. Question number six. Uh, trying to communicate with my spouse often leads to a fight because they refuse to discuss anything sensitive. How do you handle a spouse who is avoidant? <laughs> uh, and by the way, there are people like that who would just basically avoid any conversation that might have any pain involved in it or, or be personal. And you, you have to first be honest. You know, some people want to talk about too much stuff. And you need to be honest. Uh, does this really need to be talked about? If it's really going to cause that much discomfort for your spouse to talk about this, you have to ask yourself this question. Do we really need to talk about this? And if you really need to talk about that, then you pick a couple of examples. You make the issue a matter of prayer. You pick a good time. You pick a good tone. And you talk about it. On the other hand, if this is something that's going to be very painful for your spouse, going to cause nothing but distress and actually produce nothing that's good, why do you need to talk about it? Why don't you just talk to the Lord about it? There are some people who, just by their nature, just want to talk about everything. And then there's other people who, by nature, don't want to talk about anything. And, and, and somewhere there in, 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 the, in the middle of this, is a healthy balance, and maybe you each need each other. You know, maybe some people talk too much, and some people don't talk enough. And, and so if they're avoidant, make sure this subject is worth it. If it really needs to be talked about, they need to talk about it. And if it doesn't, don't. Uh, today, uh, we're going to be on week two of uh, fair fighting, or you could call it uh, how to disagree with your spouse without uh, hurting them. Uh, we started this subject last week. You should be in your Bible in Romans chapter 12. Uh, remember, there will be situations in your marriage where you disagree. If you define my marriage is bad because we disagree, you're dumber than a rock. Okay? Uh, every marriage disagrees. Uh, the question is not, do we disagree? The question is, how are we going to handle it when we disagree on something that matters? And uh, because how we handle our disagreements, ultimately, it's going to determine whether our home is peaceful. Uh, it's going to determine whether our children consider themselves to have been grown, to grown up in a stable home. Uh, by the way, if you haven't grasped that if you have children, when you're having some big fight, it causes them to lose confidence in the stability of their home. And I cannot stress enough, especially for those of you who are younger in here, that all these things we're talking about are learned behavior. Uh, I was doing some marital counseling with somebody once, and 
Uh, and they were kind of talking about a lot of things that really had to do with their spouse just being young and immature. And I just asked him, I said, how old of a man do you want to be married to? You know, do you want to be married to somebody 30 years older than you? Well, then you need to learn to be patient with the immaturity to someone your age. All of these things uh, are learned behavior. Now, don't get me wrong. I, I think that if we uh, seek the Lord, uh, we can learn these quickly and we can learn them young. But all these things are learned behavior. Romans chapter 12, uh, verse 17 says, Recompense to no man evil for evil. Provide things honest in the sight of all men, if it be possible. As much as lieth in you, live peaceably with all men. Dearly beloved, avenge not yourselves, but rather give place unto wrath. For it is written, Vengeance is mine, I will repay, saith the Lord. Therefore, if thine enemy hunger, feed him. If he thirst, give him drink. If for in so doing thou shalt heat coals of fire in his head. Be not overcome of evil, but overcome evil with good. Now, the early chapters in the book of Romans, they're about doctrinal things. And if you're not into doctrine, you're going to struggle with those chapters. Uh, the latter part of the book of Romans are practical things. And here, Paul is given some practical advice on how to get along with one another in the church. And his advice on how to get along with one another in the church actually also directly applies to how we get along with our spouse in the house. Wow, that rhymed. Um, we will begin to get along better with our spouse when we notice in verse 17, says, don't render evil for evil. Uh, in other words, when your spouse does something wrong, you oftentimes, people oftentimes, give themselves the right to do something wrong. They said something mean to me, therefore I will say something mean to them. They did this to me, therefore I will do that to them. That's rendering evil for evil. If we want to have more peace, somebody's going to have to decide, I'm not going to render evil for evil. Uh, notice in verse 18, he says, If it be possible, as much as lieth in you, live peaceably with all men. We need to begin to make the effort to live peaceably. See, if we're going to live peaceably, it means we're not going to always demand our way. Listen, there's not a person in here who doesn't have a way they prefer and want their way. But if we're going to live peaceably, then we're going to have to say, do you know what? It's not always going to be my way. We're going to need to decide, do you know what? I want to live peaceably, therefore I need to forgive. Uh, I want to live peaceably, therefore I need to decide to move on from what happened. Uh, living peaceably is a choice. Now, notice a third thing there in, in verse 9. Avenge not yourselves. Uh, Vengeance belongs unto God. I'll repay, saith the Lord. Uh, you need to decide that any vengeance that needs to be done to leave it to God. See, what we do, and a lot of times we've learned this in childhood uh, when we were not disciplined properly as, as a child, that, you know what, we can get back at people for what they do to us through our anger, through our lack of cooperation, uh, through our silence. And a lot of times that was learned as a child, and, and parents didn't teach their... By, by the way, uh, all these things we're talking about, if you're raising your children well, they're learning these things as a child because you're modeling them and you're teaching them these things when they disagree with one another and when they disagree with you. 
leave any vengeance that needs to be done uh, to God. And notice the highest thing to do and the most difficult of all these in verse 20. Therefore, if thine enemy hunger, feed him. If he thirst, give him drink. For in so doing, thou shalt heap coals of fire in his head. Be not overcome of evil. Overcome evil with good. Uh, Baby-level Christianity, and it's a good thing, is to not render evil for evil. In other words, they do wrong, and then you use it as an excuse to do wrong yourself. Here's a more mature level of Christianity. They did wrong, and I returned them good when they did me wrong. Well, I guess everybody got buzzed out of the nursery. Yeah, I've had people leave in the middle of service on several occasions. I have. Uh, You know, I'm not proud of it. Fortunately, I think as best as I remember, I was always preaching the truth instead of millerology when they were walking out. Uh, It's not like some millerology doesn't creep in there, but uh, I'm trying to teach the Bible. Uh, But the highest level of of, uh, this when we're uh, disagreeing is to return good for evil. (laughs) And by the way, by the grace of God, we can do that. It is a wonderful thing for both our marriage and our children when a husband and a wife, a mom and a dad, are making this kind of effort with each other. And I say to you again, it always takes two people to have a serious fight. If either one of you decides to do these things, you'll never have a serious disagreement. You can still have some some disagreements, but it won't be too too serious. Um, and so, which gets us to basically uh, where we sort of uh, left off last week. You can go back in your book, uh, Bible to Proverbs, and we began talking about uh, different principles and things. Go to Proverbs 8. Uh, practical things. Practical things to do when we disagree. And we talked about uh, first... Uh, be careful how we talk to our spouse uh, when we disagree. We talked about avoiding yelling and not using words like always and never and avoiding conflict in front of the children and avoid bringing up the past unless it's necessary for context and avoid talking too much, which gets to uh, the next thing under this broad uh, category of controlling our mouth when we disagree. Uh, here, here's number six, Proverbs 8, 8, Proverbs 8, 8 says, all the words of my mouth are in righteousness. There's nothing forward or perverse in them. Here's number six. Do not use profanity. Um, From the surveys that was turned in, 46% of you uh, say that you do that. By the way, just because 46% of you use profanity when you disagree and, and get angry, that doesn't make it right. And if we're not careful, what we'll teach our children is don't use profanity unless you're angry. Uh, By the way, uh, three of the ten most basic, the third of the ten most basic commandments warns us about blasphemy. But here's the problem. We, We think the only kind of thing that God says don't do is take his name in vain. Uh, Jesus said, by the words thou shalt be justified, and by the words thou shalt be condemned. Paul said, let your speech be always with grace, seasoned with salt. Here we learn uh, that if you're wise, that your words are in righteousness, and there's nothing forward 
or perverse in them. There should be nothing forward or perverse. Profanity shouldn't come out of your mouth ever at all. And if you lose your temper and get profane, uh, there ought to be, uh, you know, I am sorry. I, and, and everybody who heard it ought, ought to hear you apologize and not justify it. Uh, number seven, uh, do not say things you don't mean. Uh, 30% of you from the surveys have threatened to leave or get a divorce in a fight. That, that's about the same percentage as when I taught this class in 2017. By the way, because one-third of you threatened to leave or get a divorce, that doesn't make it right. You know, what do you suppose it makes your, your children think when they hear you say, well, I'm just going to get a divorce or I'm leaving? You think it makes them feel stable, secure? Why do you say things like that? Now, now, now I know to some of you this seems dumb, but I'm going to ask you a question. Why, when you get angry with your spouse, don't you grab a knife and stab him? You probably never thought of it, but do you know why you don't? Because in your mind, that's not a viable option of how to respond when I'm angry. Right? Why is it a viable option when you're angry to say things that are mean? Why is it a viable option when you're angry to say whatever's on your mind? If you haven't recognized yet that some of the stuff that goes through your mind ought never to come out of your mouth, then you haven't recognized just how corrupt your mind is. If you stop giving yourself the right to say whatever's on your mind, to say mean and hurtful things, to say mean things you don't mean, then you know what? You'll stop doing it just like you don't go to the kitchen and grab a knife. How do I disagree and, and fight fair? Uh, number 10, don't say something in a disagreement to hurt your spouse and win the argument. Now, I, I know some of you are not plagued like this. Uh, I, I'm a very competitive person by nature. Uh, you, you know, I mean, when our kids were young and we played uh, Candyland, uh, I wanted to win. Uh, now, I did let them win occasionally, uh, but I didn't like this whole attitude of a child growing up and thinking that they were better at everything than their dad. Uh, and, and so I did not let them win all the time. But I, I have this competitive nature, and I know some of you others are like that. And when you get in a disagreement, what you go into is you go into competitive mode, and you want to win this thing. When in reality, when we disagree, the goal should not be to win. The goal should be, what's the right thing to be done here? What's best for our family here? What pleases the Lord here? See, th this is why a lot of times when you're in these disagreements, you need to say, do you know what? Uh, please let me walk away for a minute. Because if you just stay in there and keep talking instead of walking away and asking the Lord, Lord, what is right here? You know, you're going to stop looking for the whole point that you're supposed to be looking for in the disagreement, which is what it pleases the Lord. What is the right solution? What's best for our family? Not, wow, I pounded them in that argument. By the way, in your relationship, that's a lot of times why one of you doesn't want to talk. Because you don't feel like you're as good of a person in a debate as your spouse. And so rather than have conversations that you should have, 
because in your own mind, in your spouse's mind, it's about winning. You don't even discuss things. Change your goal. Uh, here's another one. Be quick to consider your part in the conflict. You know, blame in our culture is something that we always give to others. When you do disagree, do you take the blame for your part? I, I don't. I won't ask you to lift your hand, but if I don't do this, but if I said, if you have a spouse that almost never says they're sorry, lift your hand. <laughs> and you know what? There would be spouses' hands that went up because you have a spouse that almost never lifts, says I'm sorry. And you know what? In some cases, both of your hands would go up. You know, those should be some of the most common words that you have as a husband and wife. You say, why? Because you're just going to mess up. <laughs> We're people. I'm sorry. Go to Galatians chapter 6. This is a Bible principle. It applies to lots of things. Actually, this is one of the most important Bible principles when it comes to relationships. I got to tell you, I don't like it. By the way, I believe it. I don't like it. And I'll tell you in a moment why I don't like it. But in Galatians chapter 6, verse 1, notice what it says. Uh, Brethren, if a man be overtaken in a fault, ye which are spiritual, restore such a one in the spirit of meekness, considering thyself, lest thou also be tempted. Notice when someone's taken in a fault, who God puts the burden on to fix it. The more spiritual person. I don't like this because I don't like being the bigger person. I don't like this because I get weary of being the bigger person. I don't like this because like a lot of people in here, sometimes you feel like, you know what, in every area of my life, I've always got to be the bigger person. I'm just fed up with being the bigger person. But the fact of the matter is, is that if anything is ever going to get fixed, God on purpose put the burden of fixing it on this more spiritually minded person because he knew then it would be more likely to be solved. That means sometimes when you're really not the primary offender, you're going to need to be the person who tries to make things better. That means sometimes when you're not the primary offender, you're going to jump in there and say, do you know what, I'm sorry for my part in this, even when your part was the 20% and theirs was the 80%. Somebody has to be the person to say, you know, do you know what, let, let, this, this is just going on long enough. Uh, let's just fix this. You know, I did this, and I did that, and I did this, and uh, I'm sorry. Th this is how we keep disagreements from becoming something they shouldn't be. When's the last time you said you were sorry? I hope you're not the one in the relationship who almost never apologizes. Proverbs chapter 17. How do we fight fair? How do we handle ourselves in disagreements so that our disagreements do not become fights? Proverbs chapter 17, here's number two. It said first we need to control what we say. Here's number two. Proverbs chapter 17, verse 9. Proverbs 17, 9. And that says... He that covereth the transgression seeketh love, 
He that repeateth the matter separateth very friends. Here's number two. Handle conflict privately as much as possible. See, when you repeat something that's going on uh, in private to someone who doesn't need to know, that's really, really unwise. Keeping it private is actually an expression of love. I'm amazed that people haven't really ever grasped this concept that when you write something on Facebook, you just shouted it from the rooftop. I am constantly, I don't do Facebook much, but when I get on there, I'm always shaking my head at the things that people put on there. Have you no shame? (laughs) You have no concept of what you're doing? Don't tell people about your conflict you do not need to know. Now, you've heard me say in this class, and I think it's very important, each of you should have someone that your spouse has agreed for you to be able to talk to. Every lady in here, you ought to have a lady that uh, is spiritually minded, who in most cases is older than you. And same thing with a guy, you ought to have a guy who's spiritually minded, most cases is older than you, uh, who's, you have permission from your spouse to talk to them. And outside of that person, you know what? You need to keep your private stuff private. Uh, you say, well, that's from the guy who just talked about his wife kicking him in the eye. Listen, if, if, that, if that was really private, I wouldn't have joked about it. And, and probably 15 years ago, I wouldn't have joked about it. But, you know, my wife are at the place now where, you know what? I had a kick in the face coming. And she delivered. In fact, I had a toenail scrape from, like, my eyebrow down there. I mean, it's sick. You look close, man. I'm going to be scarred for life. If I was going to make an observation about people's marriages, uh, I, I would say this, is that people that struggle oftentimes wait too long to try to get help. And that's because of pride. You know, when things are just a little bad and if you can't seem to work through them, uh, either through books or yourself, you know what? Sit down with somebody. Find somebody who's older and and whose godly counsel you appreciate. Sit down with them. You you know, the longer you wait, just the more difficult you make it to to, uh, basically unweave that tangled uh, web. Uh, and, and, And lastly, and you'll like this one, Ephesians chapter 4. We'll finish this up next week, uh, but I have one more thing I wanted to leave with you this week, and I do have 90 seconds. Ephesians chapter 4, and again, this is just a great relationship and life principle. Uh, Ephesians 4.26 says, Be ye angry and sin not. Let not the sun go down upon your wrath. Here's number three. Don't stay angry with your spouse for very long. Um, I think you should really make it your goal that you don't go to sleep angry at each other. So if it's actually worth it, you stay up and talk about it until you get it settled enough to where you're not angry. Or other times you might just say, do you know what? This is really just not me worth being up late over. Let's just let it go. What that probably means, if you're not supposed to let the sun go down on your wrath, probably means you're never supposed to be angry over something for more than maybe eight or ten hours. See, the problem is, is we don't really want to get over our anger when we're angry. 
I mean, when you're angry, do you, do you really ever, do you go to the Lord and say, you know, Lord, I feel myself angry here. Please help me not to be so angry. <laughs> is a, th- this is a part of our relationship with God. Uh, there was a pretty high percentage of, of you uh, uh, who talked to people uh, who shouldn't hear. There were people, quite a large percentage of you withheld sex more than on that day because you were angry. Uh, almost a third of you had thrown something or grabbed your spouse roughly. Uh, you know what? That all goes back to lack of self-control and you giving yourself the right to be angry like that. Please don't. Please don't. You don't have to. You don't appreciate it when your children are out of control. Why is it okay for you as an adult? Yield to the Lord. And and, and I've got to stop. Everybody should have one of these sheets. Please write something on it. Uh, A question, a smiley face, a snide remark. You look good with a red bloodied eye. Uh, Can I see your uh, wife's toenail mark? Whatever. Write something on it. Fold it in half and, and set it up here. God bless you. You're dismissed.